And when it comes to the gut microbiome, we all have a very unique signature. It's like our fingerprint. Everybody's gut microbiome is different. And this is the challenge right now with addressing the gut microbiome from a scientific standpoint is we know it's really important for health and we know that it needs to be modified in various disease states in order to help people improve their health. However, we currently don't have good ways of doing that. Welcome to the Nutrition Science Podcast, where we help you cut through the noise and make informed, science-based decisions about nutrition and your health. Welcome back to another episode of the Nutrition Science Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Adrian Chavez, and in this episode, we are going to be discussing the gut microbiome. We're going to talk about how to support a healthy gut microbiome, and we're also going to talk about what it is, how it impacts our health, and how we can measure it. So this is going to be a comprehensive overview of the topic, the gut microbiome has gained a lot of popularity over the last five to seven years. There's a lot of misinformation about this topic. There's a lot of products being sold, prebiotics, probiotics, cleanse supplements. And this episode is going to help you make sense of it all. It's going to help you navigate this space with confidence and knowing that you just understand what the gut microbiome is. Because again, it's talked about a lot, but most people don't define it properly. Most people aren't communicating about it properly. They don't really know what they're talking about in most cases. And I could do probably an entire semester's worth of content on this topic specifically. Uh, and I'm going to try to compress all of that into hopefully less than 45 minutes in this episode. So I'm going to go quick. I'm going to cover a lot of information. And by the end of this episode, I hope that you'll have a good understanding of what the gut microbiome is, again, how to measure it, how it impacts our health, and also some simple things that you can do in order to support your gut microbiome. So let's go ahead and get into the content. So first off, what is the gut microbiome? Well, let's start by defining what the gut is. So the gut or the digestive tract is a long tube that's about 30 feet long that goes from our mouth to our anus, and it includes our mouth, our esophagus, our stomach, our small intestine, our large intestine, and our colon. And this is 30 feet long, and this is our digestive tract. This is where all of our food gets broken down, gets absorbed into our system, and then waste is taken and removed and excreted. And this is a very important system. And that's why quote-unquote gut health has become very popular because it's important. The digestive tract is just a place where a lot can go wrong, and if it does go wrong, it can impact health in a wide variety of ways. So when it comes to digestive health, there's a lot of things to take into account. One of those things is our gut microbiome, and our gut microbiome is about 40 trillion different microbes, and these are bacteria and viruses and yeast and archaea and parasites. There's a whole ecosystem of tiny bugs that live in our digestive tract that create communities and impact our health in various ways. Now, the microbes live throughout our digestive tract. So we have microbes in our mouth, we have some in our esophagus, we have some in our stomach, we have some in our small intestine, we have some in our large intestine, but the vast majority of them colonize in our large intestine. And they're there for a very specific purpose. The microbes that live in our large intestine Many of them can break down some of the components of food that we can't, uh, non-digestible carbohydrates, which many are classified as fiber, but this isn't exactly the same thing. It gets kind of confusing here, um, but non-digestible carbohydrates, which again, most of these are classified as fiber. So these 
microbes in our colon break down these fibrous carbohydrates and they turn them into what are called postbiotics. We'll talk about this a little bit more in a second. And these postbiotics are metabolites from these bacteria that can have effects on our health and they can have positive or negative effects, probably neutral effects as well. We're still learning about how these metabolites are impacting our health, but this is the way through which these microbes impact our health. And the microbes are, as I mentioned, primarily concentrated in the large intestine. Now there's also microbes throughout our digestive tract. And so there's some in our small intestine, there's some in our stomach, but our stomach's very acidic and it doesn't uh, provide a very favorable environment for microbes or any living organisms to thrive there. So there's very little in our stomach, but there is some microbes in our mouth and all of these different parts of our intestinal tract, our mouth, our esophagus, our stomach, our small intestine, they have different communities. And, and when it comes to our small intestine and large intestine, there's going to be different communities along different parts of our intestine because there are different environments there. So our duodenum, which is the first part of the small intestine, is going to have a different microbial environment due to the fact that it takes in stomach acid right from our stomach when we're digesting food, and that creates a more acidic environment in the duodenum versus the jejunum or the ileum, which are the further parts of the small intestine. So I know I'm using big words here, but basically these are the parts of the small intestine. And when we look at the different parts of the small intestine, there can actually be different communities of microbes throughout different parts of the intestinal tract. And this is what makes the microbiome so complicated is it's not just, you know, quote unquote, the microbiome and whether or not you have microbes there. It's what microbes do you have? Where are they at? What are they doing? What type of metabolites are they producing? And the end, most important thing, as I mentioned a second ago, is the metabolites that they're producing. And these are called postbiotics. So what happens is the microbes in our gut use fuel sources, which are often referred to as prebiotics. And these prebiotics, are they serve as fuel for the microbes or the quote-unquote probiotics, but not all microbes are classified as probiotics. So the microbes take these prebiotics, they use them for fuel, and then as a result of the breakdown of those prebiotics, these microbes will produce metabolites. And these metabolites are called postbiotics. They're classified as postbiotics, and these occur as a result of the interaction between the prebiotics and the microbes in our gut. And these postbiotics are actually what affect our health. So this gets really complicated because at the end of the day, we don't really care about the microbes that are in our gut. Now, they are important because certain microbes can produce certain postbiotics. But at the end of the day, the thing that seems to impact our health from what we've seen are these postbiotics. And these postbiotics include things like butyrate, which is a short-chain fatty acid, and other short-chain fatty acids. And then also things like endotoxin, which can be very inflammatory and can have a negative impact on our health. And butyrate, as I alluded to earlier, is probably the most well-studied of these postbiotics. It's a short-chain fatty acid. And this fatty acid, butyrate, actually serves as a primary fuel source for the cells of our colon. And it helps to mitigate inflammatory responses. So it actually modifies the expression of genes in the cells of our intestines to shift towards a more anti-inflammatory profile. And this butyrate seems to be in, in animal models. We haven't figured out ways to properly administer it in the places that it needs to be administered in human studies, but in some animal studies has been shown to be highly protective 
against inflammatory bowel diseases. And the reason being, as I mentioned earlier, is because it can actually reduce inflammatory responses and turn up the anti-inflammatory defense systems within our body. And so this is a really important postbiotic. And this is what we have learned is really impacting our health. And we've only been able to kind of measure these things over the last few years. And this is why this topic has gotten a lot of popularity over the last few years is because the science has progressed substantially over the last 15 years because we couldn't really measure what was in our gut very well. And we still can't. Uh, I'll talk about that in a second. We still can't measure what's in our gut very well, uh, but we couldn't measure it at all up until about 15 years ago. And now we're actually starting to be able to measure uh, some of those metabolites as well and starting to see how those metabolites might impact our health. So with all that said, let's talk about the gut microbiome and health. So pretty much every health condition and particularly inflammatory conditions, autoimmune diseases, and digestive issues, there's a difference between people who have that health condition and those who don't in their gut microbiome composition. So if we take people who have X health condition, we take people who don't have X health condition, and we look at stool samples and measure what we can measure of their gut microbiome, we find differences in almost every case when it comes to health conditions. So this has led us to understand that the gut microbiome is likely playing a role in a wide variety of disease states. Now, as I mentioned earlier, when it comes to autoimmune diseases, when it comes to digestive issues, uh, it seems to be playing a, a more impactful role and it makes sense digestive issues, of course, the gut microbiome is going to be playing a pretty significant role. And then when it comes to autoimmune diseases, 60% of our immune system lies underneath a single layer of cells in our digestive tract. So if you have a digestive issue and that single layer of cells starts to get damaged for whatever reason, medications, you got an infection, you have just a poor diet, lots of stress, that can place more stress on the immune system because the immune system doesn't have that protective barrier there anymore and it's coming into contact with undigested food. It's coming into contact with bacteria and yeast and viruses that are sitting in your gut, making up your microbiome. And when that happens, that can cause the immune system to just become more hyperactive and develop more of an intolerance to our own tissues. And that's what autoimmune disease is, is our immune system starts to attack our own tissues. And in pretty much every autoimmune condition, there's distinct differences in the gut microbiome among individuals who have that condition versus those who don't. Now, with that being said, that doesn't mean that the gut microbiome is driving these health conditions. Just because we see differences among people who have the condition versus those who don't doesn't mean the gut microbiome is what's driving the condition the changes in the gut microbiome can be a consequence of having that health condition as well. So this is something where the research isn't well established. We know that there are differences, but we don't know what role those differences are playing in the actual disease process. And beyond that, we're looking at averages when we compare people who have a certain disease versus those who don't. And when it comes to the gut microbiome, we all have a very unique signature. It's like our fingerprint. No two people have the same gut microbiome. So when research comes out that shows that individuals with inflammatory bowel disease have higher likelihood of having you know, salmonella or E. coli, that is in general, but that doesn't mean that 
if you have inflammatory bowel disease, you have higher amounts of those microbes and you need to get rid of them or you need to you know, take a probiotic because it was helpful for someone else. Everybody's gut microbiome is different. And this is the challenge right now with addressing the gut microbiome from a scientific standpoint is we know it's really important for health and we know that it needs to be modified in various disease states in order to help people improve their health. However, we currently don't have good ways of doing that because number one, and I said I was going to talk about this earlier, I talked about this in the last podcast episode, but number one, we don't have great ways of measuring the gut microbiome. Right now, we rely primarily on stool testing. And what stool testing is, is we're measuring what comes out in our poop. And our gut microbiome, as I mentioned earlier, is comprised of microbes and communities of microbes that live in various sites throughout our digestive tract. And taking a sample of poop and measuring some microbes in the poop isn't going to give us a full profile of what's going on in our GI tract, not even close. And so until we can better profile the microbiome, we're not going to make very significant advancements in understanding exactly what's going on and how to fix it. So when you see people selling a product, making a claim that they can fix your microbiome or help you have a healthy microbiome, that's most likely going to be completely misleading. We, at the moment, don't even know what a healthy microbiome is. There is no definition for a healthy microbiome. And this is one of the reasons why getting a stool test, buying a commercial stool test is often not helpful is because they're just comparing you to the averages and showing where you have higher or lower amounts of certain microbes versus the average. And that doesn't mean that that's causing problems for you. It's just saying that you're outside of averages and everybody's going to be outside of averages for some of these microbes because we all have different experiences and our gut microbiome is shaped by our early life experiences largely. So our gut microbiome is influenced by when we're born, whether or not we had a C-section or vaginal birth. Having a vaginal birth helps to give that initial colonization of microbes uh, that are going to help to create our microbiome along with our gut microbiome. So we have a our whole body microbiome, which includes all of the microbes that live on our body, on our skin and elsewhere. Um, but then we have the gut microbiome. And so if you have a vaginal birth, you're more likely to have uh, a quote unquote healthier microbiome starting off life and then being breastfed, being exposed to outside areas, being exposed to dirt is actually something that positively affects the microbiome. Because if you live in a highly sterilized environment, you're going to be exposed to significantly less microbes and you're going to have less opportunity to be exposed to a wider variety of microbes. And one of the things that seems to be associated with better health when it comes to our gut microbiome is more diversity. And so a lot of these early life experiences shape the composition of our gut microbiome, how many antibiotics we take, and then also our diet. And diet is probably one of the most important things that we have control over, or not probably, it is the most important thing that we have control over that can impact the composition of our gut microbiome. And so that's what I want to talk about now is how do we change our gut microbiome? So I talked about what it is, uh, how it impacts our health in a variety of ways, but we don't really understand it very well. How to test it, we can't really test it very well right now. And now the last part, how do we make it healthier when we don't even know what a healthier microbiome is? So there's actually going to be some good takeaways here. I want to interrupt this episode really quickly to remind those of you who listen to the show, who enjoy the show, who are regular listeners and who haven't left a review to head over to Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast 
and leave a review for the show. It is really appreciated. I enjoy reading the reviews, but it also helps get this podcast out to more people. The more reviews, the more likely Apple or Spotify is to recommend this podcast to people who are looking for similar shows, and that's what helps to grow the podcast. In addition to that, you sharing the podcast with others helps as well. So if you're listening to this episode and you're finding value from it and you know someone who could benefit from this information or you know a lot of people who can benefit from this information, please share it with them. You're going to be doing them a favor. They're going to appreciate you as a friend and you're going to help spread the message of this podcast, which helps me out as well. Along those lines, uh, I mentioned this before, but this podcast takes a lot of time and energy. So you may have noticed that sometimes I'm posting episodes a day or two late. Um, and the reason being is this is not something that makes me money. It actually costs me money. I do this completely for free because I know it's incredibly helpful and I invest hours of my time each week to record these episodes. I want to continue to do that. That requires a couple of things. That requires the podcast continuing to grow, and that requires me making sure that I have a consistent revenue stream. So if you're listening to the show and you get value out of it and you want to support the show, there's a few ways that you can do that. So going to legionathletics.com, they sell pre-workout and protein supplements that I really like. Their protein bars are pretty good as well, and they have a few other things that I recommend as well. But if you shop there and you use the code CHAVEZ at checkout, you'll get 20% off your first order and you'll get double points on every order after that. And then we also get a small commission as well, and that helps to support the podcast. In addition to that, if you want to leave a direct contribution and make a one-time donation, you can do that as well. There's a PayPal link in the show notes, and you can just go there, click on the link, leave whatever you'd like, and then you can leave a message along with that. And I see all of those, and I really appreciate all of those that have come in. I haven't mentioned that in a long time, but I've actually had a few people reach out to me recently asking if there's ways that they can help support the free information I put out through this podcast and through my social media, and I've decided to go ahead and bring that back. So I appreciate all of you who support the show in the various ways, through reviews, through sharing the show, through purchasing, through affiliate links and one-time donations. I want to continue this podcast. I really enjoy publishing this podcast, and I know a lot of you get a lot of value out of it, and I really appreciate the support. All right, now let's get back into the episode. So the three ways that we can shift the composition of our gut microbiome in order to try to influence uh, positive health outcomes are uh, adding in new microbes, and this is with probiotics or fermented foods killing off microbes, and this is with antibiotics. And I'm not going to talk about this one because this is outside of the scope of my podcast and my expertise. But one thing that a lot of people who are experiencing digestive problems as a result of microbial dysbiosis can benefit from is antibiotics. And again, this is outside of the scope of my expertise and not something that I'm going to discuss. But that is another thing that some people in some cases need in order to get rid of microbes that are causing problems because just having you know more microbes in our gut is not necessarily a good thing we want to have the right ones and then number three supporting the microbes in our gut with prebiotics and this is all food so we'll talk about that as well so number one probiotics should you take a probiotic the answer is no if you don't have a digestive issue you should not take a probiotic you have a gut microbiome that is established that has been developing throughout the years of your life and adding in a probiotic that has a really high amount of a few specific strains of microbes could actually throw your digestive system off. 
And so I don't recommend it if you are healthy, you don't have any digestive or autoimmune issues, and you're just taking it as like, quote unquote, preventative. I see a lot of people promoting probiotics in that way. There's a popular probiotic called Seed that I see a lot of people promoting. If you don't have a digestive issue, if you don't have an autoimmune condition, if you're not trying to specifically address a health condition by taking this probiotic and taking it strategically, you probably don't need to be taking one. And yes, if you take one, it might make you feel a little bit better. But again, there's also the other side of it where it can worsen things and you're paying 50, 60, 70 bucks a month or whatever the cost is for something that you just don't need. There's no evidence to show that probiotics are helpful for healthy people. They can be helpful for certain disease states, like people with IBS can benefit from certain probiotics. People going through antibiotics uh, can benefit from a probiotic called Saccharomyces boulardii. Uh, people with IBD who have pouchitis, so IBD is inflammatory bowel disease. Those who have IBD with pouchitis have been shown to benefit from a multi-strain probiotic. There's a few areas where probiotics have been shown in the clinical research to be effective, but most studies on probiotics show little to no benefit. And it goes back to what I was discussing earlier. When you take a probiotic, you're putting in two or five or 10 strains of some microbes into a gut that you don't know what's in there and you don't know where those microbes are going to end up. So you're just hoping for the best. And that's the way that I see probiotics is it's just guess and check. You take one, you hope for the best. If it improves things, great. If not, stop taking it because something can be shown to be helpful on average in the clinical research and be the exact opposite for you. And on the other hand, something can be on average shown to not have any positive benefit for the average person and actually have a benefit for you. So the way that I approach probiotics oftentimes with clients is we're just going to do an educated trial and error process. So there's a site called usprobioticsguide.com. I'll link it in the show notes. It goes through all the research on the various strains of probiotics and what they've been shown to be beneficial for. And sometimes, let's say for example, you have IBS, there's been multiple strains of, of probiotics that, that may be beneficial for you. And so you can try one, see if it benefits you. You should know within the first seven to 14 days, typically, if there's a change in stool habits, if there's a change in digestive symptoms, bloating, gas, any of those in a positive or negative direction. And then you can make a decision from there. But I highly recommend if you're doing this, you're working with a practitioner, you're taking a very methodical approach to it uh, because probiotics, again, you're just most of the time, you're just going to be wasting money. And in my opinion, it's not the best approach to improve the health of your gut microbiome. Now, the next thing that I'm going to discuss, I do recommend, and this is fermented foods. So including fermented foods in your diet, Yogurt is probably the best one that I recommend most people, including on a regular basis. If you eat dairy and tolerate dairy well, yogurt is great. If you get a Greek yogurt, it's a great high protein snack that you can modify and add fruit and nuts and dark chocolate to or whatever you want and make it a really great snack. Or you can use it as like a breakfast item and it's going to add some microbes to your diet. Yogurt consumption has been associated with lower rates of cancer, lower rates of heart disease, you're going to get some calcium, the protein, other nutrients as well. Highly recommend including your yogurt as a fermented food on a regular basis. And other fermented foods are great as well. So kimchi, tempeh, any like natural pickle that, that is in like the refrigerated section that says it has live microbes. Anything that has live microbes, 
is going to be a fermented food that's going to add some microbes to your gut and that's going to add a few strains into your normal daily diet. The other thing that helps to add some microbes to your normal daily diet is eating raw uh, fruits and vegetables. Uh, so most of these have small amounts of microbes on them. So there was a study that was published a couple of years ago that showed that Apple had 100 million microbes on it. So that's a little bit of microbes that are going into your gut that can potentially help to increase the diversity of your gut microbiome. And if you can't tell, I favor smaller doses of a wider variety of microbes versus taking a probiotic that's going to have you know, several billion CFUs of a couple of different strains. Uh, because there are some studies that show that probiotics can crowd out some of the native species that are important for the health of our gut. And so for this reason, you want to be selective with your use of probiotics. And I prefer fermented foods instead uh, for this reason. So that's adding microbes to our gut. So that's one way that we can benefit the health of our microbiome. The other way is by providing our gut microbes the fuel sources that they need to thrive. And this is our nutrition. And when it comes to fuel sources to uh, produce a healthier gut microbiome, all of the evidence points to eating more plant foods and eating a wider variety of plant foods. So each type of plant food is gonna have certain carbohydrates that are indigestible and these specific carbohydrates have different structure and each plant food has different indigestible carbohydrates. So people think, you know, fiber, it's just soluble versus insoluble. No, it's apple fiber versus broccoli fiber versus watermelon fiber. And each food has a unique structure of types of fiber that it includes. And when we eat a wider variety of plant foods, we're exposing our gut microbiome to a wider variety of types of indigestible carbohydrates. And our gut microbes often can favorably break down certain types of indigestible carbohydrates. So when we eat a wider variety of plant foods, we provide fuel for a more diverse microbiome. And this is one of the reasons that you often hear me recommend a diversity of plant foods or eating a wide variety of plant foods because all of the available evidence in this topic points towards that being the absolute best way to support a healthy gut microbiome. And in addition to that, eating more plant foods and a wider variety of plant foods reduces risk of cancer, reduces risk of heart disease, pretty much every other chronic health condition. So it's nice how all of this data of how to support the microbiome, how to prevent Alzheimer's, how to reduce cardiovascular disease, how to reduce cancer, all kind of comes together in nutrition and points to the same dietary patterns. Uh, a dietary pattern that doesn't include too much energy or too little, so eating the right amount of calories for your needs, uh, one that includes mostly unprocessed foods because we need those nutrients from the unprocessed foods, and when foods are processed, they become easier to overeat, and oftentimes they're stripped of the nutrients that we need, and there's nothing wrong with including processed foods, but when you include mostly unprocessed foods, it's easier to meet your nutrient needs in a diet that is made up of primarily plant foods and a wide variety of plant foods. This is pretty consistent across all of the research in nutrition. And there are exceptions to this. I've discussed this in the fiber episode. There are individuals who, when they try to eat a lot of plant foods, it causes their health status to worsen. Go to my fiber episode if you want to understand that a little bit better because fiber is a double-edged sword. If you eat more fiber and it produces more of that postbiotic that is negatively impacting our health, 
that can have a negative impact on health. So fiber can be a double-edged sword and it's not always eat more fiber is always the best thing to do. But eating a wide variety of plant foods and eating consistent amounts of fiber is pretty consistently shown to be a dietary pattern that is going to support long-term health. So let's do a quick recap. Our gut microbiome is a very complicated ecosystem that lives throughout the 20 feet of intestinal tract and includes a variety of different environments that include different microbes and different species that are producing different metabolites that are impacting our health in a variety of ways. Currently, we don't have great ways to measure the gut microbiome. Uh, a lot of it is honestly just a mystery. What we do know about the gut microbiome is that adding more microbes can be helpful in some cases. Taking away microbes can be helpful in some cases. And probably the most important thing we can do is supporting our gut microbiome with our nutrition. I'm going to post some studies in the show notes. If you are someone who wants to read more about this topic, you can check out some of those studies. They're really interesting. I love learning about this topic and talking about this topic. But when it comes to the science of this topic, we're just not there yet and being able to say, hey, this is how your gut microbiome is impacting your health, and this is how we can change it to ensure that it's not impacting your health in a negative way. We cannot do that. It is largely a guessing game. When I work with clients with GI issues, we are we're guessing. We're trying to improve their nutrition to support their microbiome in the best way that we can, but a lot of it is just trial and error. So that's all I have for this episode of the Nutrition Science Podcast. If you made it this far, I appreciate you. Hope this episode was informative and helpful. Hope you have a great week, and we will talk soon.